in a little like rehab center. And every day we would get um, heaps of amputees coming in. A lot of them knew that, you know, um, many people are still stepping on landmines today, even uh, 30 years after the war ended. And, um, and, you know, many people kept coming back and there just weren't enough resources. There weren't enough trained professionals and the level of care that they were receiving was actually uh, quite terrible. And it was quite uh, traumatic to, to work there, you know, coming from Australia with not much cultural, uh, um, <clears throat> like learning myself going over there. Uh, yeah, it was quite traumatic. So um, coming back, you know, I really wanted to do something about it. And because, you know, upon researching, I found that the situation was actually uh, significantly worse in a lot of other countries. Welcome to the Everyday Changemakers podcast. I'm your host, David Banis. On the podcast, I interview everyday changemakers to learn more about their story, how they began, and what challenges that they had along the way. With this podcast, I hope to inspire other people to take action on the things that they're passionate about to make the world a healthier, safer, and more inclusive place. Tom, welcome to the Everyday Changemakers podcast. Thank you be here. It's great to be here. Awesome. Tom, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, based in Melbourne in Australia, and I run the social enterprise called Art Movement, which is a apparel store that donates 100% of profits to build prosthetic limbs in developing countries. Uh, which is actually a very niche uh, topic. Not many people know about the whole uh, prosthetic situation in the world. But um, yeah, I started the idea for movement started actually in 2017 uh, because I was doing a master's in prosthetics and orthotics uh, here in Melbourne. And I did a two month placement in Cambodia. Um, And Going there, I really, you know, I knew a little bit about the history, but I didn't really understand uh, the situation, uh, you know, with Cambodia, with their civil war history and the millions of landmines that were laid across the country by the uh, Khmer Rouge in the 70s. And um, through working in Cambodia for two months, the I really saw how bad the, the situation was. So I worked in the... Um, in the, the capital city in Phnom Penh and in a little like rehab center. And every day we would get um, heaps of amputees coming in. A lot of them knew that, you know, um, many people are still stepping on landmines today, even uh, 30 years after the war ended. And, um, and you know, many people kept coming back and there just weren't enough resources. There weren't enough trained professionals and the level of care that they were receiving was actually uh, quite terrible. And it was quite uh, traumatic to to work there, you know, coming from Australia with not much cultural, uh, um, like learning myself going over there. uh, Yeah, it was quite traumatic. So um, coming back, you know, I really wanted to do something about it. And because, you know, upon researching, I found that the situation was actually uh, significantly worse in a lot of other countries. So um, across the world, there are about 35 million amputees 
um, either you know upper limb or lower limb uh, due to a various number of reasons and about 95% of them don't have access to proper prosthetic rehabilitation and care. Um, but we can go into that into a bit. Um, so yeah, so I came back and you know I wanted to do something about it. And I mean, the first thing that I found, which was quite a big issue, was that no one knows about it. No one knows about um, you know prosthetics. Even when I said you know I did prosthetics, some people ask, well, what's that? And then um, you know when it comes to the social cause. Um, yeah, no, no, no one knows about it. So uh, one of the main issues I've had is actually trying to educate people about the social cause. And so I had to think of a way to, you know, educate people and to actually get, um, you know, make a way so that um, I can make a difference in this space. So um, our, movement yeah, our movement began out of um, me, Sort of copying other successful social enterprises using the 100% model. So a big one here in Australia is Thank You, or Thank You Water, and uh, there's a few others. This one called Who Gives a Crap that does toilet paper, where they sell you know a physical item that a lot of people buy, and then the they donate 100% of the profits after you know they keep the business sustainable, and through that, you know, through people purchasing everyday products or gifts, you can then educate them on the actual uh, social cause so that, you know, there's a bigger understanding and, um, you know, and people can, yeah, you know, especially if they purchase it and then they gift it to someone else, then you're actually educating more and more people through actually just one, one purchase. And, um, you know, as we've seen, uh, social enterprises are rising and charities are finding it harder to just, you know, uh, receive donations because asking for a straight donation <clears throat> is quite tough these days. So, um, yeah, so our movement's been around for about a year. Um, we started, we wanted to sell something that was sort of relevant to like lo uh, lower limbs, like, you know, opening a restaurant wouldn't really, you wouldn't, uh, seem to fit. So we started selling uh, fun and colorful socks, funky socks. Um, and that's done really well. I think the past year we've made, uh, you know, 30 or so different designs. We've um, had market stalls in uh, two different states here in Australia. And we actually did a fundraising event in America as well last year. Um, and yeah, and we're doing uh, actually quite well, and we're you know gearing up for a big holiday season this year. Should be exciting. That's awesome. I uh, have about twenty pairs of socks, um, so we're definitely in the target market. Um, and I guess you know part of that, um, you know, the gift giving and you're know, buying, you know, what's you know something that's I guess a commodity. Although in this day and age, socks have really <laughs> become very special to people. Um, what, what does that buy people? You know, what, what impact are they making when they bear, buy a pair of socks? So, yeah, so um, one sort of barrier, or at least in, in Western countries for a prosthetic limb, just to give some context, um, if someone in Australia would you know, lose half of their limb to, let's say, diabetes or a car accident or something, 
it normally costs about $50,000 to make a prosthetic limb for them. And that's the lower end, like the, the top ones being, you know, like the Blade Runner, the sort of um, athletic piece of carbon fiber, they go up to maybe $300,000. In the um, developing countries, it's clearly a lot less. So um, a charity that I partnered with, they um, manufacture their own prosthetic limbs and they can, they've brought it down to about $250 for one limb. Um, so, you know, so if you sort of do the math from that, we sell, you know, pair of socks for $20 here. So, you know, it comes to around about, you know, between 10 and 15 pairs um, sold, we are able to help build a full prosthetic limb for an amputee. That's awesome. Um, and what is, and it might sound pretty obvious, but what is, um, what does that mean for people? Like how, how does that change their life? Like um, what are, what's some of the things that you've been hearing from, from people who've received? Um, yeah. It's um, it has a much bigger impact than a lot of us realize. So um, because of my history with Cambodia, I'm working uh, currently solely in, in Cambodia. So I've um, partnered with a um, nonprofit organization on the ground in Cambodia and they deliver the prosthetic rehabilitation for their patients, um, which is, you know, a, a lot better than someone from the outside trying to come in. So that's really good. But the impact that it has, especially in Cambodia, um, there are about 60,000 amputees in Cambodia and 85% of them live in rural areas. And, you know, in a rural area in Southeast Asia, a lot of the time it means that you're a farmer and the way that you can provide for your family and you know the greater economy is through farming and when one of, when you lose a limb like that and you lose the ability to move well suddenly you know it's not just you can't walk you can't provide for your family you can't earn an income and you can't sort of you know contribute to the greater community and bigger um, economy so a lot of amputees end up in well firstly they live below the poverty line because they can't um, you know uh, have proper jobs and so they end up with a lot of you know, below the line sort of poverty uh, jobs as they're called so for men it ends up you know begging on the streets or um, those people that sort of or they like search through the you know the big rubbish tips and uh, most of it is begging and for women again begging or like you know they make things at home and then try and sell them and uh, it does go into sort of sex work as well um, in I know in India it's actually really bad like the I think it's like the mob or the mafia like owns you know they buy amputees and then they beg for them so it's actually really quite bad not just for the the amputee themselves but it brings the whole family down because the family would have to, you know, work harder um, to, you know, provide for them. And another big issue in Cambodia is a cultural issue when it comes to um, amputations. It's really like shunned upon. Um, and I remember talking to someone when I was there in, in Cambodia who explained that they, you know, even though they were really educated 
then when they would walk in for a job interview, everyone would just say, we don't support people with amputations. So, you know, we're not going to give you the job. They were kicked out of their own house from their own family. And, you know, they're just sort of looked down upon from everybody else. So it's, yeah, you know, someone who receives an amputation and doesn't get care uh, is really, you know, the, yeah, it's a really tough life. That's horrible. Um, but, but great to see that that the up movement is, is out there and that there's other charities who are, um, you know, pu- pushing that forward. We'll take it back to, you know, you've seen all of this stuff in Cambodia and it's obviously had a massive, massive impact on you. What do you do? What do you do then when you get back to Melbourne, back to you know, the land of excellent coffee, um, great cafes? Um, how, how do you get started? You know, what are, what are the, how, did you, how did you get started on UpMovement? What are the first steps you took? Yeah, I mean, as I said before, the, the thing that you don't want to do is to just be some, some guy that sort of throws money at, at a solution and says that you're fixing it. Um, you know, we, so from the get-go, I didn't want to be someone who would, you know, try and solve the issue myself because I, as, even though I worked there for two months, I, you know, wasn't a Cambodian. I didn't live there and, you know, I wasn't part of their culture. So w- one of the main things, I mean, the first thing was trying to partner with other charities and NGOs already on the ground that could deliver, that were already set up and already delivering the services that, you know, I wanted to align with. And so that was, that took a while because when you're starting out you've got absolutely nothing and you reach out saying, I want to help. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it is quite tough. And I actually, it, it, it ended up being a sort of triangle because I partnered with a charity out of New York City. They're called um, A Leg to Stand On. And they, build the prosthetic limbs that they then give to um, Cambodia because they also work there and they have people on the ground there as well. So we were able to build our credibility and sort of start from the beginning with this partnership out of America. And they, you know, helped us um, sort of, well, they they helped us at the start. That's when I went over to America. They had a big fundraising event. And um, they said you that you can have a stall and sell socks. So um, that was really cool. It was quite quite scary trying to get through American customs with a suitcase full of 300 pairs of socks. But um, uh, yeah, we got there. And yeah, so the and yeah, the main thing is you know partnerships and not trying to do everything by yourself because yeah, you know coming back, it is actually very daunting. <laughs> to, you know, have this huge sort of idea in your head and, you know, it's just, just you, this one person. Um, I did have a, um, another, like a failed startup before, cause you know, I came back 2017 and it's now I started in 2019. So I had a year where I started up this other business that clearly didn't work. So, um, you know, but that's the whole thing of starting up, you know, starting up and failing, trying and, trying to see what, what works. Yeah. I mean, I've had a failed startup as well. And I think obviously it doesn't feel super great, but I think it's awesome learning from it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 
how, how did it feel? I mean, obviously with, with the former startup, you probably had experience with cold outreach, but um, how, how did it feel doing these cold calls and just putting yourself out there initially? And, you know, did you have any feedback from friends and family? Like, um, yeah, how was that? Yeah, it was, I'm like, I'm an introvert. So going out there was by far the hardest thing. And I mean, doing cold calls and like cold emails to, you know, NGOs trying to partner with them is all right because they don't know you and it's fine. And I got, you know, I sent out, I'd probably tried 30 or 40 different um, organizations and one, one was positive. So I had a lot of, a lot of rejection. <laughs> um, and yeah, but I think the the hardest bit, like sort of coming out with the idea was, you know, telling people in my own uh, circle, because at least here in Melbourne, um, in my own circles, no one else has really, you know, gone out and done their own thing. So um, yeah, I remember I was laughed at a few times at, at uni when I said I wanted to do my own thing. And it wasn't, you know, I had no proper like education for it. So um, yeah, that was really quite daunting. But you know, once once you do it, then you're out there. So you just got to keep going. So Tom, what do what's the what's the model like? Um, how where do you source your socks from? Um, and how do you kind of choose designs to to uh, to sell yeah um so that's well that's actually changed this year due to um the whole coronavirus situation so now we get local artists to design our socks and um you know we source them from around melbourne and greater victoria and i think there's one in new south wales as well and so they design the socks and then we get a local manufacturer here to make them as well um to be fair, when we started and we had no money, we got them made from China because it's a lot cheaper. And, um, you know, and I made some designs myself. There were some pre-made ones. And so that, you know, we were able to get the ball rolling with that. But what we found this year is, you know, we can now, we have another, um, what is it called, a unique selling proposition saying, you know, we've now got these socks that are designed by local artists. This is their work. And, you know, it's made in a local um, manufacturer. So we're helping jobs there. We're helping the artists and we've got this social cause. So it's actually quite uh, a lot of stuff to try and put into, you know, one ad, ad copy. Um, yeah, so, so that's what, what we've done this year. We've, you know, changed from getting them made overseas to now getting made here locally to help more uh, local, you know, artists because they, have been impacted the most by COVID. That's awesome. And I mean, that's such a, such an important thing. Like it's, you have, if, if you can't build a sustainable business, you can't help anyone. So um, yeah. you know, that makes total sense why you outsource early. Um, mm -hmm. how, how do you acquire customers currently? And what, what's the, what are some of the best methods for you? Um, Currently, yeah. So, 
as of well, I mean, last year it was a lot of markets and, you know, being physically in a store where there's a lot of traffic because you have a big table full of colorful socks, people are going to come, come to you and then you can educate them. And then, you know, we had a lot of success there. As soon as we would educate someone on the social cause, it was, they would easily buy some. As this year's gone on, we've had to put everything online. So um, two major things that's worked for us this year. One has been, you know, the basic Facebook and Instagram ads because, and this is where our setup of, of a social enterprise has worked really well because we have two different entities. So we have a for-profit that buys and sells the socks and then a non-profit. So we can, you know, do Facebook ads where we just sell socks and, you know, you, you know, take good photos of them and, you know, it's a product-based business. It's, um, you know, funky socks is something that a lot of people buy off, off impulse, you know, just from scrolling. And we've had a lot of success from that. We have also been able to um, sort of join other marketplaces and, you know, online marketplaces. There's quite a few that are popping up here and there, that, you know, a marketplace for social enterprises and an online store, you know, where they, where they get heaps of different social enterprises together. And as of next week, we have been able to join a big um, Australian-made, you know, buy Australian-made uh, businesses. Uh, that's a big marketplace that's about startups. So, yeah, we found that um, you're not just having the one, in, you know, the not, not one income stream, one place where you sell. You ha if you spread yourself out, then you get a lot of different people coming in. Like we, in the when was I think June or July, we made masks because um, masks became mandatory here in Australia. So we made our own masks and we sold them on uh, Etsy. And that, you know, we sold over a hundred in the first week of them just from people searching on Etsy. And um, we've sold a lot of them and a lot of other socks on from Pinterest as well, which is something that I had no idea about, but you know, it actually works really well. That's amazing. Um, mm. So it sounds like um, initially you went out kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat at the stalls and, and using your best marketing asset, which is which is you and, and, and the story. Um, mm. And you've just been testing different areas and all the way. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's hard to sell the story when you when you've got like 50 words in in, in an ad so that's what we've been testing the most and trying to see what works the best yeah that's awesome um and this one question i ask everyone if you met someone um tomorrow who super passionate about something but they're not sure how to get started you know what would would be your advice to them well from my year and a half of a wasted business. Um, I think trying to understand the market and have a, uh, I think when it comes to a social, a social cause, the main thing or the first point is to figure out if the social cause that you're saying that you want to fix is the actual social cause that needs fixing. So, you know, when a lot of people, and I've been asked this a lot and it's quite true that you know, for an amputee, there are, okay, let's say there's 60,000 amputees in Cambodia 
and I'm here saying, okay, I want to build prosthetic limbs, is that the actual social cause that needs fixing? Or is there another cause underneath, like a root cause that, you know, would be would be better use of your time? So, and, you know, um, so with our, our charity that we work with in Cambodia, they also train more professionals in, in the field because, you know, if 95% of amputees don't have access, well, part of that is because there aren't enough trained professionals. So, um, you know, so that's one major thing that we're trying to work on is making sure that what we're doing actually gives the most impact. And, and you know, a lot of people make businesses and say, yeah, you know, we're helping end poverty or we're helping to, you know, fix this one thing. But is that actually going to, you know, leave impact, or is it just going to, um, you know, keep creating more issues, or is it not actually going to fix anything at all? Yeah, that's great advice. I, I mean, I love how you're keeping the commercial side completely separate um, mm-hmm. and really focusing on that. Um, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Right, it's been a great time. Awesome. Well, that's another episode of Everyday Changemakers. Thank you so much for tuning in. It means a lot. If you can hit the subscribe button on the podcast player of your choice, that would be greatly appreciated. And head on over to djmgrowth.com forward slash everyday dash changemakers to get the latest show notes. Thank you so much.